Well, good morning, Christ Central family. Uh, my name is Huey, and I have the great privilege of serving as the pastor of education here at Christ Central. And to our brother, Nikki, uh, thank you for sharing your story, story with us. Uh, we love you, we pr- we're proud of you. And to all of our graduates this morning, uh, we celebrate you uh, today. And, and thank you to Director Susan for uh, praying for our students. I stand with you in that prayer. Uh, thank you for loving our students, and, uh, and thank you for praying for me uh, this morning. Um, before we dive in, I just have a quick plug for you uh, regarding our central education ministry. As we continue to navigate the impact of our current pandemic, our education ministry is making plans for the upcoming ministry year to serve our Christ Central family. So if you wish to register your child, your your students uh, for Central Kids and or Central Youth, uh, there's an easy way to do that on Planning Center and and, and the Church Center app. And same goes for our college students. Uh, There is a separate registration form to register for for our college ministry on both Planning Center and the Church Center app. Your registration will ensure that you stay up to date with all that is happening in the life of our education ministry and that we have all the necessary and important information to best serve our students, our children, and our families. So it would help us greatly if you just took a moment to fill out that registration form in the coming weeks. Well, Christ Central, yes, today is graduation Sunday. We want to celebrate all of our students who are moving on to the next season, next chapter of their lives, from our little ones uh, preparing to move on to kindergarten, our fifth graders moving on to central youth, our high school students moving on to college, and our college students moving on to the world of young adulthood. And these are milestones that we want to recognize. And we also want to acknowledge the parents of these students and the various support network around them, siblings, relatives, ministry leaders, spiritual aunts and uncles, teachers and coaches, those that have labored and supported and loved and prayed for these students. We want to acknowledge you. And above all, it is right and fitting to honor the one who has been faithful in the years past, the one who is sovereign in this very present moment, and the one who will be gracious in the years to come. He is worthy of our praise and worship and our gratitude this morning. You know, one of our own in the Lee household is moving on to kindergarten in the fall. I can't believe it. Uh, And this is what his graduation experience looked like this year. The picture on the left is him in in our minivan looking out uh, where the teachers are just kind of spread out uh, six feet apart. And this is my, uh, our our way of saying thank you to all these teachers. And the picture on the right is actually his quote unquote graduation ceremony on Zoom. You know, as you look at these pictures, I assume that it strikes a chord with all of us and, and especially our Uh, graduates. You know, on the one hand, these pictures represent for me the labor of love of people to make the best of a not-so-ideal situation. And yet, on the other hand, they also represent for me a sense of loss and disappointment. The sense that, you know, this is not what I had imagined or wanted. The sense that this is not the ending I wanted to write for this chapter of my life. 
And I imagine and I assume that this is not just for our graduates. As we consider all that is going on in our world, as we consider all that is going on in our lives, maybe this is a very familiar sentiment for all of us. That, man, whatever we're going through, man, no one saw this coming or no one could have really imagined it this way. But then again, I'm reminded that that sentiment is not entirely true, is it? Because God saw it coming, and God had imagined it that way. And, and I want to ask you this morning, does that, does that comfort you? You know, our church's theme this year was knowing God, and, and we consider the attributes of God, you know, who God is and what he is like, and we also consider the works of God, his past, present, and future, the, the glorious and redemptive works that he has done and is doing and will do. And when you consider all that God is and, and the marvelous works that he has done and is doing and will do, I want to ask us, does it comfort you to know that it's this God, the God of the gospel, the God of the Bible, not the God of our own making that had ordained it to, to be this way. So no matter the circumstances, friends, I believe there is comfort in the midst of loss and trust in the midst of the disappointments and the hope in the midst of the uncertainties that lie ahead. This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage in Deuteronomy chapter eight. The book of Deuteronomy is God's word and charge through the prophet Moses to a generation of Israelites who are about to enter into the land that God had promised. Under the leadership of Moses, the Israelites have been wandering through the desert for 40 years, but now they are now on the brink on the brink of entering the promised land that God had promised to begin a new chapter of their lives. And God would remind this generation of who he is and remind them of the sovereign purposes for their wandering in the wilderness. God would remind them of the lessons learned in the past and the wisdom gained for the future. And to our graduates, this is God's word and charge for you, our students, on the brink of beginning another chapter in your lives. What might be the lessons in the past and wisdom gained for the future for you? I'll be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 8, the first 10 verses. So if you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, please follow along with me as I read. And let me just say this real quick before I read. You know, although I have our students in mind this morning, I want to ask all of you listening to tune in because the Word of God is always in every season, both timely and timeless. And, is, and the Word of God is never bound by what the sermon focus is. So this word is for you uh, in this season. So let me, let's lean in together. Deuteronomy chapter eight, beginning in verse one. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper." And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two things that I want to lay before you this morning from this passage. First is God's presence in our wilderness. And second, God's purpose for our wilderness. So first, God's presence in our wilderness. Wilderness, according to the dictionary, is is defined as uncultivated, uninhabitable, and inhospitable region. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 15 describes the wilderness with these words. The great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. In the wilderness, there was scorching heat during the day that you couldn't escape from because there was no shade. There was very little relief from the cold during the night. There's nothing to eat, nothing but thorns and thistles all around. You are vulnerable to diseases and attacks from thieves and bandits and even various kinds of animals. In other words, life was never meant to thrive in the wilderness without outside support and sustenance. Wilderness meant death. And one commentator describes it this way. The wilderness is a place of inevitable suffering and trials, but also a place of inevitable dissatisfaction and lack of fulfillment. You know, I I know we are far from what the Israelites physically experienced in that wilderness thousands of years ago, but this idea resonates, resonates with us today, doesn't it? Life on this side of eternity is a lot like life in the wilderness. Our broken and fractured world is a place of inevitable suffering and trials, and we see this, we experience this, we witness this all the day long. When we consider our world still in this pandemic, when we consider the racial tension and injustice and violence, the broken homes and the broken marriages, when we consider hunger and poverty, sickness and diseases, this is just to name just a few. And our broken and fractured world is also a place of inevitable dissatisfaction and lack of fulfillment. Friends, I believe a universal truth that we all know in our guts that we try our best to ignore and suppress is this reality that you can have everything you ever wanted and dreamt of and worked for and, your, and yet your soul will still be thirsty. The late Ravi Zacharias once said, the loneliest moment in life is when you have just experienced that which you thought would deliver the ultimate and it has just let you down. The actor and comedian Jim Carrey, I don't think he was a Christian, I don't think he's, he is a Christian, once said in an interview, 
I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous and do We can see that it's not the answer. You see, you can go to the college of your dreams, land the job of your dreams, marry the spots of your dreams, live in the neighborhood of your dreams, and have the bank account of your dreams, but if you look to these things for your ultimate hope and satisfaction, you will experience profound disappointment and, and emptiness. This is a theological certainty and an existential reality. Dear graduates, these are lessons learned in the wilderness and wisdom gained for the future. St. Augustine once said, Thou has made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Therefore, in our wilderness experience, life cannot thrive without help and intervention from the outside. And praise be to God that the wilderness is not only a place of suffering and dissatisfaction, but it's also the place where, God's, where God meets you and me. We see, all, we see this all throughout scripture. When you count the stories of Jacob wrestling with God, Moses encountering God through a burning bush. When you consider the stories of Hagar and Elijah, they all meet God in the wilderness. In the scriptures, the wilderness was often the place where God met you, where he encountered you, and where he transformed you. So yes, the wilderness is a place of suffering and dissatisfaction, and life was never meant to thrive in the wilderness, and yet the wilderness is also a place where God's presence meets us. And without the wilderness, we can't know him as, long, as, as he longs to be known, and we can't um, know him the way that we need to know him. You know, there was, a, um, there was a day my freshman year in college where I got a phone call from my mom and she said, my uncle is passing away soon from cancer and you need to come down right away. I was a freshman in college at, at Binghamton University. Uh, my uncle had been um, suffering uh, from cancer uh, for four months. Uh, once he found out, I mean, it just took a toll on him drastically. And we knew right away that he wasn't gonna last long. My uncle was a special person in my life. He's the one that introduced me to the local church. Uh, he's the one that uh, really um, um, served me by displaying for me what a servant looks like. And um, he was uh, a aroma of Christ to me, so he meant a lot to me. So at once I began driving a, a three-hour distance, and that those three hours, uh, I still remember very, very viv vividly. Uh, it, was, it was lonely, it was... Um, I was, I, was, I was sad, I was, I was grieving. I was trying to um, find words to, to kind of make sense of what's happening. I didn't really know how to feel, but I was, yet at the same time, I was grieving, I was devastated, I was, I was so sad. But in the kindness of God, and in the grace of God, I heard the song come on the radio, and the chorus of that, that, that song went like this. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. 
And you know, and up until that point, I, I knew the, the doctrine of heaven. I, I knew that Jesus will return one day. I knew of this truth that God will heal all things and renew all things and restore all things. But it was in that very moment where I think my heart really believed it, maybe for the first time. That truth was pressed so deeply into my heart that even in the midst of grief and confusion and and maybe even anger, there was a sense of joy, a sense of uh, peace. It wasn't the removal of sadness, but in the midst of the sadness, in the midst of the grief, there came a sense of joy and peace because this was true. This became so precious to me that better is one day in God's courts, better is one day in God's house than thousands elsewhere. There's a familiar saying that goes something like this. The longest journey you will ever make in your life as a Christian is from your head to the heart. For many of us, there's a gap between what our minds know to be true and what our hearts really believe and embrace. And sometimes that gap is really wide. And Deuteronomy 8 says that it's our wilderness experience that has the ability and the power to close the gap on that journey because of the presence of God in our wilderness. This was the lesson the Israelites learned from their 40 years in the wilderness, that God's presence was with them in their wilderness, that he was leading them through the wilderness, not around it. Deuteronomy 1 tells us, actually, that it should have taken the Israelites just 11 days to reach the promised land. 11 days, but it took them 40 years. Why? It's so that Israelites might learn to depend on God alone for everything. That they might learn to depend on God alone for everything. And this leads me to my second point, God's purpose for our wilderness. Listen to verses two and three one more time. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The 11 days journey was perhaps what the Israelites expected but that's not what God had planned for them, for their good and for his glory. You see, the shortest route is not always the best route. You see, one of the God-designed and God-ordained purposes for the wilderness experience is to teach us that life is more than food and material possessions. We are created and wired for so much more, and the world as it is will never be able to meet the deepest needs of our hearts and fulfill the deepest needs of our souls. Therefore, God, in his wisdom and love and care and purpose, he led the Israelites through the wilderness to expose the insufficiency of material things to fill and satisfy them. 
He led them through the wilderness experiences, through experiences of loss, disappointment, pain, and suffering. He allowed them to hunger only to feed them by, the, by his very hand so that, so that they would acknowledge their helplessness, come to the end of themselves, and rediscover the most important thing in life, the very thing that sustained and preserved them for 40 years wilderness, which was the word of the living God. That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And like the Israelites, we are to remember that living in communion and in fellowship with God under the authority and instruction of his word is fundamental to our existence as as food is to our physical body. And friends, this beckons our response, not just uh, intellectual uh, acknowledgement, not just a nod with our heads, but it affects every part of our lives. It affects how we live. It affects how we use our money. It affects how we use our time. It affects how we live in home. It affects our parenting. It affects our relations with with our parents. It affects our livelihood within and outside of our church. It affects all areas of our lives, or it should. You know, this week, I, I, uh, one, of my, one of the brothers at our church sent me this prayer that he wrote down, and I want to read it to you. I got permission to read this to you. And he writes this prayer out. He says, God, I'm reminded of the words of Pastor Owen when this lockdown first started. He reminded us that during this global pandemic, the worst thing that can happen to the Christian is to be with you forever. What a sobering, hopeful thought. At worst, if everything in my life fell apart tomorrow and I, let this, and I left this earth, I'd actually become the fullest, most complete version of myself possible. I'd be with you. We're so deep into this pandemic that those words from Pastor Owen seem so long ago, but I need that eternal perspective today too. God, take away any numbness I have towards people, towards you, towards myself. I believe in the hope of everlasting life. I also believe that that hope holds with it so much power, power for me to make a difference, to die to myself daily, to be an ambassador for Christ. Jesus, I know that when it's all said and done, I'll be able to be with you in person, but I'll only be able to be there because you did it all. I'll bring nothing with me, no pride, no riches. He says, I'll bring nothing with me, no pride, no riches. You are naked and poor on that cross so that I can be eternally rich. Thank you. I want to live my life for you. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is what God does. If we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, this is the type of prayer that we pray. And his word is the proclamation of his love, his steadfast love toward you in Christ. The word that Moses is preaching to the the Israelites is the proclamation of God's steadfast love toward you in Christ. It's it's a word that declares that he is for you, that he has not and will not abandon you in your wilderness, and a word that is 
that, that, that demonstrates a commitment to see you through the wilderness. Our ultimate confidence that this is true, that this word is true, that this word is the unshakable truth is in the final once and for all demonstration of God's love for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in Jesus, we have the Son of God who faced the ultimate wilderness on the cross for us. On the cross, Jesus experienced the ultimate thirst for us so that in our wilderness experience, we can run to him and we can trust him and find our hope in him. See, he knows he knows our wandering and he understands. He is our sympathetic companion and savior in our wilderness. Jesus suffered the ultimate abandonment in his wilderness for us so that you and I will never be abandoned or forsaken in our own wilderness. You see, our cries in the wilderness, wilderness reaches to the throne of grace and our pain stirs the compassion of God all because Jesus made a way all because Jesus gave us access to God's throne. Wilderness meant death for us. But Jesus conquered death through his wilderness so that in him we might have the sufficiency of Christ, all that we need and all that we want in our experiences of wilderness. And not only that, Jesus conquered death through his own wilderness so that he might prepare us for life in the fullness for all of eternity when Christ returns to renew and restore all things. Wilderness on the cross was death for Jesus, but it means life for us so that we would know just how much he loves us so that in our wilderness experience, he would draw us near to himself so that we will cling to his precious word and promises so that Christ might be for us everything we need and long for. Dear friends, brothers and sisters, death is never the final word for us in our wilderness. He leads us, he is with us, and he is at work in our wilderness for his glory, for our joy, and for the good of others. For those of you who are in the wilderness today, dear friend, I say these words with trembling knees, fully aware that too often it's easier saying it than actually living through it, but I hope you'll understand that I say these words in faith. Dear friend, look to the Lord your God. His presence is with you, pursuing you, sustaining you, leading you through the wilderness so that you may find joy and hope and satisfaction in the immovable reality of how much he loves you and all that he has done for you in Christ. So will you trust him today? Will you surrender to him today? Would, will you come to the end of yourselves and cling to Jesus for everything you need and everything you desire? And to our graduates, to our students moving on, I want to remind you and I want to plead with you to 
wrestle with this and be confronted by this, that the fullness of life was designed to be lived under the reign and authority of God and with him in fellowship and friendship. That's how life works best. Everything else is counterfeit glory and everything else falls short of the glory of God. And perhaps one of the greatest lessons that life in the wilderness can teach you is that your greatest possession and pursuit is what Christ has done for you to save you. And it's his presence with you through all seasons of life and his commitment to lead you to himself. May that be your treasure and pursuit all the days of your life. Dear graduates, hold on to this life and hold on to things of this world with loose hands. And instead, trust him, follow hard after him in obedience and integrity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this world has nothing to offer. This world and all of its good gifts are just mere shadows, mere shadows of what you've prepared for us, what is really glorious and real and true and beautiful. And everything we need and everything we long for, every thirst and hunger that we experience both physically and spiritually is found in Christ. So today, without delay, without hesitation, would you quicken our feet that we might run to you in surrender? Would you quicken our conscience to know, Father, you're deep and satisfying love for us. And I pray for dear friends today that are in the thick of the wilderness, confused and grieving, broken and fractured. Pray that you will meet them with your presence, that you will be the all-sufficient Savior and King over their lives in the wilderness.